Mid-market sized businesses are where the true economic action in business really is. They are nimble and agile. They're factories of growth, they lead in innovation, and they're early adopters of tech. These enterprises need the right tools, support and environment to flourish. But sadly, they're often overlooked and undervalued. Not here though. This is the Mid-Market Matters podcast, and I'm your host, Craig West. We'll explore pain points, growth strategies, and how to find the competitive edge. Welcome to SME Radio. On this episode of Mid-Market Matters, we're joined by Brad Giles. Brad is the owner of Evolution Partners and author of Made to Thrive, which I have sitting on my desk right here in front of me, uh, amongst three others in a pile of things that I need to read fairly soon to get across. But um, Brad's going to talk to us about what he, the work that he does with leadership and leaders of businesses particularly. So, Brad, firstly, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Mate, a little bit of background. I'm keen to find out how you got to be, uh, you know, you're very sought after leadership coach. Uh, tell me a bit about how you got to that point. What's your background? So I I guess I've had a background as an entrepreneur. Uh, I've founded six companies. Some of them went pretty well. Uh, some of them didn't go so well. It's uh, it's the entrepreneurial story, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I started in a variety of different industries. Um, and then I guess beyond that, what I was really interested in was the management, the leadership, how to build a great company. That's what really kind of I was interested in is what I, I learned. Okay. And obviously now your work is really working with some of the larger mid-sized firms in Australia, is that right, with their CEOs and leadership teams? Yeah, that's right. So um, probably about, I I suppose I was working on my own businesses about 20 years ago and then about 10 years ago I started um, working for friends and then from there for about the last 10 years I guess I've been working, yeah, for some uh, some probably more well-known, let's say, uh, mid-market uh, companies, um, yeah, in that space. That's where I okay. start. So let's start with, I'd like to understand, you know, tell us why this is an important issue for mid-market businesses. Yeah, what a what a great question. So it really begins with my own intrigue over that journey. And, and so I suppose I've always been really interested in building great businesses and Building great businesses uh, are predicated, let's say, by the leader or the CEO, let's call them. Um, so that made me really interested in this question, what's the difference between a good CEO and a great CEO? And, and I really, I, I really, I, I wouldn't say struggled, but I really researched that question, the difference between a good and a great CEO for a long time because a good CEO may, pre- may create good results but a great CEO, they build a great enduring business. And, and for many of us, that's what we really want. Um, so, I yeah, so, so, so why is it important? Um, because if you want your effort to count for the most, if you want to be the most effective as a leader, at least, at the very least, understanding uh, what a great CEO looks like is, is a great place to start, even if you only want to become much better. Okay, so it's interesting just to talk about, you know, businesses are directly related, you know, their performance is directly related to the ability and the experience and the skill set of the CEO, but you're talking about taking that to a next level altogether, aren't you? Well, yes, absolutely, but at the very beginning, just like I 
I'm really intrigued in what's the difference. So if I was to ask, what's the difference? Uh, what does a great CEO do? Many people would say, well, they create better results. They create better shareholder value for a listed company or they'd create a better um, growth rate or maybe they'd create a better net profit. Most people would probably land on net profit, but the problem, the, the real problem is, okay, so you create great profit, but what about if you've got a terrible culture or what about if you create great profit and you've got massive retention problems or you've got great profit and you don't have a strategy and therefore um, the revenues are either stagnant or declining. So there's, there's in terms of great, when we look at the leadership of a business, I, I think that there's, there's several facets that need to be considered. Okay. Well, it might be worth just going through those. Let's consider sort of, you know, firstly, what are the results that you're seeing these, what you're calling great leaders achieve and how do they do that? You know, what are the things that you you work with to help people achieve those? Yeah. So if we start with the definition, uh, I, I would postulate or suggest that um, there are five main results that that are the difference between a good CEO of a mid-market business and a great CEO. They are, number one, uh, a great CEO has a higher percentage of top performers. So they surround themselves uh, with uh, more A players or the best people in the industry. Top performers are attracted to great leaders who have clear expectations and accountability, uh, passionate and are involved in the business. Number two is higher retention. Um, so leaders who have people stay for longer. So when you look at the average retention of a business, um, they're obviously staying longer. They've got less reason to leave because they're working with a, a great CEO. Um, higher productivity. Um, so great leaders get a higher gross profit dollar relative to the salary that they pay their employees, i.e. productivity, right? Um, yep. And then consistent growth. So they've got an effective strategy that is um, not lumpy growth, let's say broadly, or roller coaster type growth, but um, key risks have been removed. Uh, the strategy is effective and they're growing. And then finally, the, four, uh, sorry, the fifth one, consistent results. Um, so they're consistent in their, their revenue growth, their revenue achievement, and their profit numbers. They're consistent with all of that. So that's what I would propose is the five results that define a great leader. Okay. And so if I'm a great leader looking to achieve those, you know, you, you certainly outlined some of the key things that people talk about or think about in terms of their business and, and successful metrics. How do I go about that? I can't just turn up and say, okay, I want better productivity. Let's go. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, well, like any, you know, like anything great, it's, it's difficult. But, if, you know, for many people, this is their, you know, their business is one of their greatest uh, life's work, right? So it's, hard but it's worth the effort so the way to do that and this is predominantly what the book is all about it's about these five roles that create those five results okay so again the five results very quickly higher percentage of top performers higher retention higher productivity consistent growth consistent results so the way that 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 is achieved um, is these five roles so the first is accountability Okay, and so that is um, having accountability for all employees and suppliers. Um, there is a, 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 a culture or a sense of accountability throughout the business. Number two uh, is ambassador, and this is one that can catch some people out or that people are not necessarily familiar with. 
but um, the CEO performs a strategic role as an ambassador within the business. And we'll dig into these in a moment. Um, yep. Number three is culture. So there's a, a positive culture, unites the team and attracts the right people. Number four is strategy. So the company's strategy delivers a unique and valuable position in the marketplace that is different from competitors. Then number five is succession planning, but not perhaps in the context of succession planning that most people would anticipate, which is uh, passing on the business to another generation. This is succession planning in terms of protecting the revenues and the profits uh, and all of the um the employees making sure the stability of the business is maintained for the purpose of consistency of uh, of growth and consistency of results. So, um, again, very quickly, accountability, ambassador, culture, strategy, succession planning. Okay. So let's. you're happy to talk through those and just give us a bit more detail around what that actually looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So let's, start, uh, let's start with accountability. So... Mm. <laughs> I guess this was all of this was born from many years of experience looking at myself, looking at uh, my peers, and working with with teams. Okay, so if we go way before that, back to the 1890s, there was a guy called Max Ringelman uh, who developed this concept called social loafing. Essentially, that is the more people that you add to a group, the less productivity within the group. Okay, right. so yep. You would expect productivity, let's say, of 60% for one person. As you add another person, another person, by the time that you get to about eight people, that productivity drops down to about 30%. Um, the point there is that that is why managers work. And we've had things like holacracy and Google tried to not do managers, but, but accountability is important. Um, so within accountability, um, there are, there are so a few key aspects to that. So people, first of all, got to actually understand what it takes to succeed in their role. And, and that is first for a reason because many employees just don't know. Number two, um, employees uh, report to their peers weekly. And this is a concept from um, Pat Lencioni um, broadly uh, where uh, we want to create an environment of uh, a peer accountability where you're accountable ultimately to the leader, uh, but we have accountability with our peers as well. Um, then next is failure actually has a consequence. So when someone fails, heaven forbid, we're going to do something about it. Um, and I think that probably you would have seen those types of situations where people yeah, sure. let people get away with things. Yep. Uh, yeah, next, um, team meetings have an agenda. And then finally, internal and external employees and suppliers are removed from the business when they basically when they fail. So uh, it's all about accountability, that first role. Okay. And so that that that's where you start with everybody. Let's get some accountability into the business, into your role, into the people that report to you, et cetera. Um, in terms of starting, um, it's um, it, that's a bit broader question. Um, so very briefly, um, it's, it's first but if, if I would say to a person, if they were looking through these five roles and saying, where do I start? Uh, my response would be, well, where is, going to where is going to provide the greatest impact to you? Or when you look at the results, where is the problem? Do you have a problem with growth or productivity or retention or high performers? Uh, that'll give mm. you the pathway there. Um, so if we move then on to ambassador, um, yep. so we've covered off the accountability role of the leader. Um, so ambassador... So 
I guess what I would say uh, introducing the ambassador concept is that everybody doesn't need to have a TV show, right? Um, This is contextualised to what you are comfortable with, but there is still work to be done. And and part of that reason is we want to, we we want the, the, there is only one leader, okay? For example, if we use the example of the Queen, um, there are some jobs that only the Queen can do. Um, and in a company, there are some jobs that only the leader can do, and they need to do them well um, so that we can activate, A, the pride in people, uh, and B, that we can build a positive relationship with customers and stakeholders. Um, So uh, the CEO actually has a system to build a public profile. That's kind of first. That could be industry forums, uh, industry leadership, blogging, speaking. There are many ways to do it. It's just what's your flavour at the buffet, um, but there is some kind of system there. Number two, CEO attends major customer contract signings or product launches. Several leaders or many leaders perhaps uh, would rather sit in their office or play golf or something like that and leave everything to the salespeople. Just you don't need to do the salesperson's job in that context, but just being there for major things Uh, can be a big difference. Um, Next, uh, employees learn core values and core purpose stories from the CEO. Next is all new employees are welcomed by the CEO physically or virtually in their first week of employment. And this comes back to the pride again. See, if people aren't proud of their company, if people aren't proud of their manager, if people aren't um, proud of their product, and if people aren't proud of their team, they'll leave. Um, Mm. So we need to build a system to activate and maintain that pride. And that comes through that ambassador role from the leader. Um, employees are welcomed by the CEO physically or virtually in their first week of employment. I just mentioned that one. And then finally, every quarter the CEO launches the company plan and priorities. I think the stats out of Harvard are something like 91% uh, of people don't know what the plan is and 70% of people don't even think the company has a plan. Um, so, so actually communicating that plan, part of that ambassador role. Okay. And so that, that's the first two. Um, let's keep moving through because it's a fascinating list and some of the breakdown is really interesting. The next one's culture, right? Yeah, culture. Um, so you can have a great strategy. I mean, I think it was Drucker who said um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, you can have a great strategy. If it doesn't work uh, because of the culture, it, the strategy is worth nothing. Number yes. one, um, so a positive it's a positive culture unites the team and attracts the right people. So that's the, the, the purpose. Now, every person, every individual will have a beginning and a middle and an end with a company. We get people to join the company thinking that they'll be here for eternity. When we think, okay, so perhaps like your car that you own, your car will have a beginning and a middle and an end and one day it'll go. Well, with employees, um, the word culture actually comes from the Latin word colere, which means to care or cultivate. So if we think about a person will have a beginning and a middle and an end, the job of the, the role of the leader in terms of culture is to cultivate people through that journey. Number one, yep. uh, um, core values and purpose are known by all employees. It's pretty simple. It's pretty popular and, and well-known today. There's a qualitative and quantitative system of feedback between employees and leaders. So we've got two types of data and we know what's happening in terms of the culture. The next one is the ideal employee. So the, the we we... Often in strategy, people talk about the ideal customer or the core customer. Well, this is kind of an inverse of that. So who is the ideal employee that can meet the customer's needs? 
understanding that, mm. mapping that. Um, so we've identified who the I ideal employee is and we've created what's called an employee promise. So what is it that we're actually going to promise to that? Because ultimately what we're trying to do is to get the needs, the needs of the customer met by the ideal employee whilst living our purpose. Um, and the second part of that is um, the employee promise. It helps to attract the best employees. We know who the ideal employees employee is, excuse me, and um, the employee promise is helping us to attract the best employees uh, at the pay grade that we're offering. Next, we're actually measuring that. So employee promise KPIs are measured weekly and performance is displayed around the business. And then finally, on the culture section, when core values breaches, uh, when core values breaches occur, employees are reprimanded or terminated. Very easy to reprimand or terminate people on KPIs if you don't make your numbers. Um, but, you know, core, we know core values are alive when you're prepared to, to reprimand or terminate mm. someone for that. Yeah, and that's unusual. I mean, you don't hear about that a lot. You hear people getting terminated because they didn't meet the KPIs or, you know, maybe some seriously um, you know, event that, that's terminated them. But often you'd, I haven't heard anyone say to me, oh, we had to terminate that person because they just didn't align with our values. Yeah, um, and then the question that I would pose is, are those are, are those values real? Like, are they alive? Um, because if we go back to core values, it comes back to good to great from Jim Collins and his analysis of 1,436 companies that he distilled down to 11, right? So then we look at that and we say, okay, well, if that's, if that's where core values come from, what how it was determined, it was the beliefs that were bone deep that were shared by the leaders in the business. And so if you as a CEO have a belief that is bone deep and someone is, um, is actively working against that bone deep belief, are you going to act on that? Because if you don't, there's, you know, it's, it's not going to end well, let's just say. Um, mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a little bit different but uh, um, perhaps for, for many businesses. But, um, you know, people say it's difficult to manage people. I'd say it's easy when you know the, when you know the bone deep core values, number one, and number two, you've got set KPIs of productivity. Uh, because then, you know, you've got the qualitative and the quantitative and then you can simply uh, work with them uh, around those things. So I'll move on to strategy. Yep. Company strategy delivers a unique and valuable position in the marketplace that is different from competitors. Um, so first of all, quarterly and annually, the leadership team meets off-site to reflect, evolve the company strategy and set priorities. So actually going off-site um, to work on the business, not in the business. Um, I remember I worked with a, a, a very large um, international engineering company and they would come together, fly from all over the world to, I think, Dubai or somewhere, and then they'd go there and all they would talk about after that great expense was what was happening in the business. And so it's important to be working in the business off-site, um, that, you know, setting that rhythm where every 90 days we're going to go off-site, every year we're going to go off-site and we're going to work on the business, building a strategy that will ultimately get us to be different from competitors a la uh, Michael Porter. Uh, number two, um, the company's long-term 10-year big heritageous goal, uh, it's known by all staff and actions are taken each quarter to progress toward the big heritageous goal. Now, um, 
that's important because it sets kind of the top of the mountain that we've got to ascend um, and everything should align like our 90 day, our one year, uh, our three years should all align. We should have clear alignment with that long-term big heredacious goal. Um, but actually having everybody know about it uh, is important. Like mm -hmm. culture, we spoke about the ideal employee and I mentioned this briefly, but the next one is about the ideal customer needs are identified. So who's the ideal customer and what do they need? Okay. And then uh, we've we've built what's called a brand promise. So we're promising something that meets those needs better than our competitors. Um, and um, that's helping us to actually attract customers uh, or, or even better the ideal customers. Uh, next, we're measuring that and we've got KPIs around those brand promise KPIs, uh, sorry, around those brand promises. So we're measuring it weekly and we're displaying it around the business, just like the ideal employee um, KPIs. And then finally, each product or service contributes to the company Hedgehog, any which do not are discontinued. So for those who may not be familiar, the Hedgehog comes from Jim Collins, good to great, and it uh, considers three things. What's your purpose? What's um, your uh, economic driver uh, or your profit per X? What's the single economic driver for the business? And then finally, what can you be the best at? Um, so understanding that. And, and so if you're doing something that isn't contributing to those three things, um, why are you doing it? So then um, stopping it. Then finally, we move on to succession planning. So uh, again, this is not about mm. the, the leaving the business to your children. Um, this is about consistency of growth and consistency of results within the business context. Number one, each significant role has a virtual bench of two people that are contacted quarterly. Okay, so the reason here is uh, significant. I'll just re, uh, restate that. The reason here is if you've got a, a sales team of five, let's say, and two of those people leave, the only opportunity you've got, certainly in an Australian sense, is to go to seek.com and try to find someone or go to your local recruiter. And then it's just a desperate scramble to get people on board. So what we're saying here in terms of maintaining consistent growth and consistent results is there are other salespeople that you're having a conversation with or whatever the key roles are. Um, products and services at risk of decline are mapped quarterly and actions are taken uh, identified, sorry, to replace these revenues. Uh, so we want to know what's happening within not only our top line revenue, uh, not only our top line GP, but moving GP margins, moving revenue numbers within our sub services or sub products, and they're monitored and discussed by the leadership team. And we don't suddenly go after a year or two, why uh, those people not making any money in that part of the business? We can right. act on it. Um, next is suppliers. So we've spoken about other areas, but then suppliers at risk of decline or disruption are mapped quarterly. Okay, so we want to have an understanding of the people who are supplying us because if a key component, um, let's say we've got a retail store and we've got a major contract with someone, if that supplier has problems, it's got a major impact on us. Um, so we want to track that and, and discuss that at the leadership team level. For um, all decisions on new opportunities, new staff or new investments are evaluated against a documented set of criteria. So we've got an investment criteria. It doesn't need to be, uh, it needs to be relative to the size of your business, okay, but there's still something. So for example, we're not going to employ someone unless we can get this type of return, or we're not going to buy a piece of equipment unless we can pay it off in two years or something like that, some base kind of 
criteria. And then finally, each leader in the business has appointed a clear successor who could replace them from within. Um, we all know the, the kind of the analogy or the metaphor, uh, what happens if you get hit by a bus? Um, actually just mapping out that person. And then when you're doing that, thinking, well, how can I get that person to actually get better? So overall, that's the subset to the five roles mm. to the main results. Okay, so it's an interesting model because it covers a whole diverse areas of the business, but clearly making sure, you know, you're focused on those results, as you said. But before we wrap up, I'm interested in, uh, in asking you, you've given us, you know, a whole stack of different things to focus on and think about. The one big tip, what's the number one thing business owners need to get right in this space? Yeah. Um, so I'd say get an advisor or get a coach. Um, and and I know uh, I, I, I know that that in the work that you've done, Craig, um, you, you make, a, I think, a very accurate statement that everybody's a coach, right? And, and that's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about a professional, full-time, high-quality coach. Um, there's many of them out there. Um, you know, if your coach made the decision to either buy a pool franchise or a coaching franchise, they might not be the highest quality coach for you, right? So you want someone who's got runs on the board, uh, who is, yeah, high quality uh, advisor or coach, but someone to own the strategic planning process um, because mm. that's what's going to make the difference to to your business, an external person. I don't... Certainly in the mid-market, I don't know if you're going to be able to do it in-house anywhere near as effectively uh, as you are with an external person. So, yeah, I'd say uh, someone who can put a, a different, highly experienced set of eyes on the business and push the business uh, as a catalyst for growth. Okay. Mate, how do people get, Brad, how do people get in touch with you? Thank you. Yeah, so first of all, we just mentioned the book. Uh, yep. Made to Thrive, um, available wherever all good books are sold. If you just Google Made to Thrive, you'll find that. But my website is uh, evolutionpartners.com.au, uh, e evolutionpartners.com.au. Um, that's the best place to find me, I'd propose. Okay, fantastic. Brad, thanks for joining us today. Lots of good information there. My pleasure. It's been great to um, to share these ideas with you, Craig, and your audience. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mid-Market Matters. I hope you found this episode helpful and informative for your business. To find out more, go to midmarketmatters.com.au and to download other episodes, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.